0: Welcome to the National Capital Bible Church here on December the 23rd, and we have a lot to do this morning. As a matter of fact, it's going to be a lot of fun because what I thought I would do is teach uh, essentially some of the same thing that's being taught in our Sunday school this morning. And uh, so our Christmas story, which is spread out over... Uh, two books, Matthew and Luke, but there's a lot of information there, and it's really very enjoyable when you try to pull it all together. So that's what we're going to be doing this morning. So, again, welcome to the National Capital Bible Church here for our first service. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring to you great news of great joy that shall be to all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That's what we'll be studying today. You have a few seconds for spiritual preparation. Your opportunity for confession of sins. First John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to f- forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So let's take just a few seconds for a personal, private, spiritual preparation, and then I'll open us in prayer. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we're thankful for our opportunity to focus today on our Savior and His birth. We're thankful for Your infinite love for us that sent Your Son, and we're thankful for a remarkable plan that makes this all possible. Father, help us today as we study the passages regarding our Lord's birth in Matthew and Luke, that we will be aware of the significance of these passages, what they mean, and how we should apply them. We pray that God, the Holy Spirit, would guide our worship service this morning, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Hal and Cassandra. Wonderful. We have as always, on holidays like this. We get, of course, our term holidays from our, the phrase, holy days. And I think that's uh, a nice way to approach it. We have a wonderful opportunity today to spend some time with the Christmas story. And I will admit right up front to having oodles, I think that's a word, of information to uh, impart this morning, much more than I probably will be able to do. But our scripture reading will start in Luke. As many of you know who have uh, studied the story of Christmas, we have passages in the early part of Matthew and also in Luke, and those two authors, Matthew and Luke, are the ones that really bring us this information about our Savior's birth. Mark and John, other two Gospels, do not talk of this event. So, our passage this morning where we will start is Luke 1, 26 through 26-38. Let me read through the passage first, and then we'll talk a little bit about this. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of david the virgin's name was mary and having come <clears throat> and having come in the angel said to her rejoice highly favored one the lord is with you blessed are you among women but when she saw him she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting was this you can imagine Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you shall conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be? Since I do not know a man. And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her. Takes us right back to verse 26 where it says, now in the sixth month. Now this is the sixth month for her who was called barren, for with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold the maid servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this remarkable scripture reading. We're thankful for God's Holy Spirit's revelation of what he accomplished these 2,000 years ago. Father, we pray as we study this passage and others that go with our Christmas story that we'll have a better understanding of what is happening and why. So we ask your blessing upon our study now, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, as we... uh, approach these passages this morning and this is just going to be our first passage what I want to do is talk about this birth first of all as we might in one of the Sunday school classes and that is that birthdays are very enjoyable and we anticipate them we anticipate our own birthday I mean it's a probably one of the most important days in our lives. Why? Well, it's not necessarily because it's our birthday, but it's what goes with that birth. And our parents have made it a very special day. Birthday cakes generally, and plus, of course, you like pies better or ice cream or something. But generally, birthday cakes, possibly uh, a day off from chores so your brothers or sisters pick up those chores for you that day maybe even special events you may go someplace special we've been waiting to go fishing maybe that was always a big deal for us when dad would not go to the field on the tractor or out into the garden or whatever he was going to do that day but he'd say well let's why don't we go fishing or we might do something else And so it was a special day. And, of course, then we might be a year older. And there were certain, maybe, privileges that came with being a year older. But the event, the day of the event, so we say, well, I'm celebrating um, my birthday, June 23rd. Well, it's not the day, it's what happened on that day. And, of course... That's precisely what we should understand about December 25th. It's Christmas, and there are many things that go along with celebrating this birth. But it's the significance of what happened that day, the birth of the Christ child, as he's often called, the birth of Jesus, our Savior. That's truly important. And that's what we want to do today. We want to follow the events that occurred just prior to that event, the event, and then some of the events that occurred afterwards. And it's a very special day. And it's a day that is much more important than our individual birthdays. It should be the most special day of our lives, if not Resurrection Day, when this same Savior paid for the penalty of our sins on the cross died, was buried and was resurrected so proving that he has eternal life well, where I want to begin is with a chronology of events I have to get by my Christmas story announcement here Matthew and Luke, the biblical story of our Savior's birth let's go to the chronology of Jesus' birth And our first point is going to be the announcement of the conception of Jesus to Mary. And it begins, of course, in Luke 126. We've just read that passage, and there is a significant amount of information here, and the angel Gabriel, who makes this announcement, reveals to Mary much information, and it would be significant to her, and a lot of it doesn't quite have the same impact on us. But this is the announcement to Mary that she was going to be the woman that Jewish women... For millenniums have prayed and hoped that they would be the one that would be the mother of the Messiah. And here's this announcement. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. And right here in the first verse, we see that God is in control of human events. God sends the angel to make this announcement. And you say, well, it's a pretty important announcement. Yes, it is. But God is in control of other events, other pregnancies. Nothing is too insignificant for God. The sixth month, of course, <clears throat> we might say, oh, this is the sixth month of the Jewish calendar. No. Well, maybe it's the sixth month of, no, it's, the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. And the context tells us that in verse 23 through 25 of Luke. Now we don't want to we're not going to go back and see <clears throat> the announcement of Elizabeth's pregnancy, but we learn in our passage that she was barren. And that's one of the signs to Mary that this is possible. And it would be possible. But Elizabeth in verse 24 says, Now after those days, his wife, Zacharias' wife Elizabeth, conceived. And she hid herself five months. So when we uh, read uh, verse 26, Now in the sixth month, the very next month, the angel comes to Mary. And she is not... Down in Judea where Elizabeth is where Zechariah her husband is laboring in the temple she's all the way up in Nazareth and that's significant because if this is the king well you'd think the king would be born in the land of Judea the tribe of Judah, the kingly tribe. But, no, the announcement comes in Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Yes. Remarkable. And those would be some of the thoughts of the Jews who are reading this. And the announcement comes to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David of the house of David. So any problem with verse 26 is cleared up in the next verse, verse 27, because he is of the house of David. This is the kingly line. And that's important. We haven't um, arrived at the genealogy in Luke, but the genealogy in Matthew comes before the announcement. And it's a problem the genealogy in Matthew, particularly for anyone who knew history and understood the line of the kings. But this says that she is a virgin, she's betrothed, and a betrothal was, we would equate it to an engagement. But a betrothal to uh, in Jewish tradition was much more than just an engagement. It was a legal agreement, so much so that the two involved in this betrothal would be called husband and wife. They could be called husband and wife. And it would take a legal divorce to break the betrothal. So this is not just a simple engagement. This is truly a commitment and the commitment generally made between the parents, but there was also, uh, in many families, child involvement in what was happening. But the parents were really the ones that made the betrothal. <clears throat> First, oh, excuse me, the virgin's name was Mary. So we have her name. And these names, David, Joseph, and Mary, are very common names for that time. And having come in, <clears throat> coming, come in, the angel said to her, to Mary, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. And if we were Hebrew scholars, we would immediately say, Ah, Emmanuel, because that's the phrase, that the Hebrew phrase, that we would understand this to represent. The Lord is with you, although Emmanuel is with us. But it's sort of the same significance. Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Oh, yes. Highly blessed among women. Highly honored. As a matter of fact, she's going to be so honored that later on, Roman Catholicism is going to create an entire doctrine around her. Even though it's unscriptural and unbiblical. But, she is highly blessed. And she's favored. Now, again, some think that this means she is full of grace meaning she's earned it. But that's really not the significance here. The significance is is that she is receiving grace from God. Unmerited favor is what she's receiving. We probably would expect to understand that Mary is very faithful and obedient, but God has chosen her for his own reasons. And she is, as we would say, She is receiving grace from the Father. And the Lord is with you. And it's a play on words, really. The Lord is with you. Not only is the omnipotent, omnipresent God with you, but you soon are going to be pregnant with the Christ child. And the Lord will be with you. So there's a significance here of sort of a play on words of what he's saying. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and again, I, I, would, I always love to stop and think of the human situation. Here is a, a young woman. We don't know Mary's age, but she's probably a teen. We don't know if she was an older teen, a younger teen, but she's probably in her teenage years. And this would not be unusual for uh, a, a woman of this age to begin her childbearing years. But she's young. She's a virgin. And it says that she was troubled. And you can imagine if suddenly an angel appeared to you and we're not told exactly... We're not given a description of this angel, so we don't know. They generally would appear as men, but it may have appeared in another fashion. But can you imagine? I I can't imagine. But she was probably... Uh, completely astounded and fearful very fearful but she considers the manner of the greeting again the greeting is just said told her that she was a highly favored one that God was with her and she was going to be blessed amongst all women so she's considering that what is the manner of this greeting what does this mean and then the angel told her don't be afraid Mary For you have found favor, grace with God. God is extending grace to you. And behold, you will conceive and bring forth a son. So, at that time, every woman's dream was to have children. And this one is a son. A son to a, a Jewish woman was the possibility, again, of that child being the Messiah. And of course, in most of our translations, at least in my New King James Version, son is capitalized. So we know that this is going to be a significant son. And you shall call his name Jesus. I've mentioned to you before that the name Jesus is really the Latin form of the Greek word Iesus. But Jesus is fine. It happens to also be the Hebrew form of Joshua. Yeshua, which means Savior. Savior. He shall save. He will be great and will call and will be called the Son of the Highest. The Son of the Highest here is the Son of God the Father. The significance here. He's the Son of God. You are going to have a son. That son is going to be called Yeshua and her, although she's probably maybe speaking Aramaic, but Yeshua is. Has that significance of coming right out of the Old Testament of being the deliverer, the Savior. He will be great and will be called the Son of God or the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. This is the Messiah. He's in the line of David. Now, we don't know by reading this that Mary... Was in the line of David. But we discover that later in Luke when we read the genealogy. The genealogy in Luke is the genealogy of Mary. And every now and then there's a mistake made because, again, we begin that with the name of Joseph. But if you compare the genealogy at the first in chapter 3, and we're we're not going to have time with the genealogy in Matthew 1 it's completely different and men at that time were known by their name and their father's name so that <clears throat> had i been born then i would be daniel son of richard joseph was known as joseph son of jacob well when you get when we arrive at Luke 3 Jacob isn't there it's a different name and we have the genealogy of Mary not the genealogy of Joseph so here we learn that she is in the line of David and that this would be the Messiah and of course Mary well wait a minute you know angel I hate to tell you this but I'm not pregnant I may be betrothed and I'm I've I've never known a man. I've never had sexual relations with a man. And the angel says, Not to worry. That's part of the plan. The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. This is God the Holy Spirit working in the lives of human beings. God has a plan. God has a plan for our lives. God has a plan for every human being in human history. And he's working in our lives. But how does he work in our lives? Well, God the Holy Spirit is the one working in our lives. And here we see this very same thing. So the principle here really is the same. God the Holy Spirit is going to work in Mary's life, in her body specifically, and will cause this event to occur. And here we see a reference to the Trinity. First of all, the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest, God the Father, will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One, this Son, who will be the Holy One, who will be the Son of God, who is to be born shall be called the Son of God. The Trinity, right here. Now, indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. So, the angel does two things. He explains to her how it's going to occur, and then he tells her that it's possible. Not only that, not only will you conceive, but your relative Elizabeth has already conceived, and Mary would have known that she was that Elizabeth has had been barren all her life. Seemingly impossible. So, verse thirty-seven: For with God, nothing will be impossible. Mary, this is not going to be just a natural event. This is a supernatural event. And you are going to be pregnant. You are going to conceive prior to the actual marriage ceremony, which means prior to sexual intercourse. This is going to be the virgin conception. Now, we call it the virgin birth, which is a misnomer. It comes out of, again, Roman Catholicism which believes in the perpetual virginity of Mary. And I don't want to go into this in a great in any great detail. But the birth is a natural human birth. It's the conception that is supernatural and virginal. Now, what are we going to do? Are we going to change, you know, 2000 years of theology? No but we just need to understand when we say the virgin birth, we are talking about the conception and we include the birth. It's the whole process that occurs here. But it's really a virgin conception. And then everything after that is going to be in the process of human development. And there are many things that are said about Mary after this conception, that are simply not true. That she was sinlessly perfect while she carried the fetus. No. That, no, there's and there's no reason for that to occur. That for somehow, some reason maybe her sin nature was set aside. Or maybe she lost her sin nature. All kinds of things. No, this is going to be normal. A normal pregnancy and a normal birth. So We first have the announcement of the conception. Secondly, Mary will now visit her relative Elizabeth in Judea. And we see that in verse 39. We're going to jump a little bit now and try to move a little quicker. Uh, I wanted to explain that passage in Luke Luke 1 in a little more detail. But the next thing that occurs... Mary has just been told that you have conceived or you will conceive and she conceives at that point. She's been told that her relative, Elizabeth, is already with child. Six months. And I'm sure for the men, that's an exciting thing. But for women... A friend, a relative is pregnant. Well, this is just one of those uh, situations where you have to go. You have to be there. I've got to visit her. I've got to see her. And so Mary travels to Judea. We're not told how she traveled to Judea, we don't know if she rode. In those days, walking, you walked, particularly if you were not well to do. If you were well to do, maybe you were able to travel in a caravan, or maybe you were able to ride in an ox cart or a, on a donkey or something. But in those days, you just walked, and you were accustomed to walking. It was about as, you know, it was accustomed to us as getting up and walking to the refrigerator and back, you know. She was a walker, and she probably walked up, and then we're going to see she walks back. So in verse 39, now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. That's exactly what we would expect to read. If someone came to you and said, guess what? Your sister's pregnant. I don't think she is, but I I mean, I don't know. But guess what? Oh, maybe I was going to (laughs) say, excuse me, John. You know, if Jacqueline was here, your sister's pregnant. What would she want to do? she would want to go immediately and greet her and say hello, and i give her a hug, right? Whatever. And talk about whatever was happening. You know, men would leave the room, smoke a cigar. Verse 39... So Mary rose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered into the house of Zechariah. That's the father and greeted Elizabeth. Exactly what we'd expect. Now let's jump over to, uh, to verse 56. And Mary remained there, Luke 1, 56. And Mary remained there with her, Elizabeth, about three months and returned to her house. So What do we know? We know that Elizabeth was six months pregnant approximately when um, Mary goes to visit her. She stays there three months, so she probably stayed there for the birth of the child, and then she leaves. So Mary is now three months pregnant. That's what we know. So Mary visits her relative Elizabeth in Judea. And Mary remained with her about three months and then she returned to Nazareth. So Mary is now back to Nazareth and we're, we are three months into her pregnancy. So our third point, we've had the announcement of the conception, the annunciation, if we were Catholic we would say that, uh, of Jesus to Mary. Now we have the announcement of the conception of Jesus to Joseph in Matthew 1.18. Let's turn to Matthew 1.18. And this is another great passage. Again, I probably get too involved in sitting thinking about these passages. But I would love... To have been there, as most of anybody would, just to observe the individual's response to this. Now, the birth of Jesus was as follows. Now, it's going to be very difficult for me to jump into this passage without mentioning at least a word, a logos, mentioning a word, about what just preceded it. What is the context here? Why does Matthew now begin in verse 18 with the subject? Well, he's just finished a genealogy. And the genealogy beginning in Matthew 1 is the genealogy of Jesus Christ. The son of David, the son of Abraham. And in verse 2, he begins in Abraham and he goes from Abraham To David. And we know from reading our text there's fourteen names there. Fourteen plus ten. There's fourteen names there. And there's some speculation as to why fourteen. But we believe that the purpose of this first set is really to identify or to emphasize the Davidic covenant. We get to David and he breaks it. Breaks it at David. And Jesse begot David the king. Boom. Established the Davidic covenant. Then we begin uh, in the, uh, the rest of verse six: David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. And there's, oh, there's just so much history here. It just reeks, jumps out at you, it's dripping with it. Solomon begot Rehoboam. And we continue until we have another. 14 names and we finish at the end of verse 11 that says Josiah begot Jeconiah and his brothers about the time that they Israel were carried away to Babylon break what happened well in the first set we establish the Davidic covenant and the line of David we establish that throne. In the second 14 names, we lose it. It's gone. It's upset. It's overthrown. And Jeconiah is an important name in Jewish history. Now, this is where those crack scholars in the noon hour Bible class, are way ahead of all you people. As soon as they read Jeconiah, they might not recognize that because it's a different name. It's also known as Jehoiachin. So he has a little bit of Chinese blood in him. Jehoiachin. Or Coniah. And Coniah is... The son of one of Josiah's sons... Josiah had four sons. The first son is not mentioned other than he was born in First Chronicles 3. But Josiah, when he dies at the hand of Pharaoh Necho, is replaced by the people by his fourth, his fourth son. His fourth son is replaced by Pharaoh Necho and puts the second son on the throne. The second son has uh, reigns and his name is Jehoiakim little a little Korean influence here and when he dies his son replaces him and his name is Jehoiachin and that's who we have here Jeconiah who is Jekoniah? Jeconiah Jeconiah was the second-to-last king because when he is dethroned by Nebuchadnezzar and taken back to Babylon, which it says here, his uncle, the last son of Josiah, is put on the throne. And his name is uh, Zedekiah. And he's the last king. But the king that is significant here is Jehoiachin um, and his name here is Jeconiah but in Jeremiah his name is Coniah hold your finger here this is risky but let's go back to Jeremiah 22 I don't want to take much time here but this is I think significant who is this Coniah And why is there a break here? And what happens? What's significant? If you're Jewish and you're reading this, what would this mean to you? Well, Coniah, the son of Jehoiakim, second to last king, is really the last standing king. His brother, Zedekiah, is killed, but Jehoiachin, Coniah, lives. Verse 24 of Jeremiah 22. As I live, Jeremiah 22, verse 24. As I live, says the Lord, though Coniah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were the signet on my right hand. And he, he is. To God, the royal line of David is that significant. It's important to him. Yet I would pluck you off. And I will give you into the hand of those who seek your life and into the hand of those whose face you fear the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. This is Jeremiah prophesying that Coniah, Jeconiah, Jehoiachin, is going to be dethroned and taken back to Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar. So I will cast you out and your mother who bore you into another country. Mom's going back with him. And she does back to Babylon, where you were not born and where you shall die, and there you shall die. But in the land to which they desire to return, they shall not return. You will never come back to Israel. His descendants will, but he will not. Verse 28. Is this man, Kaniah, a despised, broken idol, a vessel in which uh, is no pleasure? Yeah, that's that's pretty much true. Why are they cast out, he and his descendants, and cast into a land which they do not know? O earth earth, earth, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, write this man down as childless. Childless. He had seven sons. So what does this mean? A man who shall not prosper in his days, for none of his descendants shall prosper. None of his descendants shall prosper, sitting on the throne of David and ruling any more in Judah. None of his sons will sit on the throne. Alright, we have just read the first two sets. first 14, second 14. And we're now at Caniah. And he's being carried off to Babylon with Jeremiah's prophecy. Jeremiah was an exceptionally famous prophet. His prophecies were known. This prophecy would have been known. What have we just finished? We've just finished the line of David. None of his descendants are going to sit on the throne. And then we continue. And after that, they were brought to Babylon. Jeconiah begot Shealtiel. And then we go on and we finish with 16. And Jacob begot Joseph. That's the father of Joseph, <clears throat> the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. The third 14. Fourteen names that establish the royalty the Vedic covenant, the line of David, the second 14 that dethrone him, that stops, as far as they're concerned, that line. And then the next 14, which establishes the Messiah and the next king. So, the question of any Jewish scholar, and probably many Jews because they knew their history very well, would be how can he? be the Messiah. He's in the line of Kuniah. How is this possible? So, Matthew then continues on. We have a corrupt royal line. What's to be done? Now, the birth of Jesus Christ, remember we had just finished with Jesus Christ, now we begin with Jesus Christ, was as follows. We need to figure this out. Here's the data. After his mother Mary was betrothed, we understand that to Joseph, before they came together, before they were wed, marriage ceremony, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Not of a hu- we don't even know who the hu- well we do know the husband is because we were introduced to him in the genealogy, it's Joseph, but it's not of Joseph father isn't Joseph then Joseph her husband being a just man and not wanting to make, a, make her a public example was minded to put her away secretly what do we see here in this well first of all he's in is he or isn't he in the line he is but Joseph who's also in the line who can't have a descendant sit on the throne is not the father God the Holy Spirit's the Father. And Joseph, who would be the father in the marriage, is now saying, I'm not even going to do that. I'm going to dissolve this marriage. I'm going to dissolve this betrothal. I'm not going to take her as my wife because she's pregnant out of wedlock. This is a problem. And he's a just man, and so he's saying, I need to put her away, meaning I need to arrange for a divorce. But he's a just man, he respects her, loves her, and he's saying, I'm not going to do it publicly. It will be done privately, secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel, probably Gabriel, remember, and and we'll work on the timing here, an angel of the Lord, appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David. Son of Jacob? No, son of David. Why? Because that's significant. You're in the line of David. You carry some significance in what's going to happen here. You must be part of this. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, do not be, do not be afraid to marry, Your Mary, we could say. Do not be afraid to take to you Mary to wed her, your wife. So, they're already seen as husband and wife. Don't be afraid to wed her. For that which is conceived in her is the Holy Spirit. And she shall bring forth a son. And you, Joseph, shall call his name Jesus. For he will save their people from their sins. What Matthew is doing and what we understand is that there has to be legal precedence here because Joseph is on the Solomonic side of David through which the line really ran. So if we have David, he has a son, And then he has another son, who over here, we'll just put him Nathan. And under Solomon comes Rehoboam. But we have a split. Down here is Coniah Down here is Joseph. This is the legal line. But it's broken right here by Kaniah. None of these people are going to sit on a throne. So we need a physical line. And over here is the physical line Mary. And that, and what's happening here, is is the angel's explaining to Joseph, you will marry, you will wed Mary, because you bring the legal line, but you're not going to bring the physical line. The physical line is coming through Mary. Mary is royalty, but she's in Nathan's line. See, nothing is impossible with God. The Jews would look at this and say, there's no solution here. Don't have any idea how that's going to happen. How is that going to work? God has a solution. Nothing's impossible with God. And you know, in our lives, we very often think, I have really messed this up. Or something's happened. And there's just no way that this will either ever be right, or I can't think of any way that I can possibly you know, either be happy or accomplish this or that. Don't worry. God has a plan. You remain faithful to God. God is faithful to you. And here we see that. That's what this announcement does. It says, no, Joseph, you are going to be the father Not the physical father, but the legal father of this child. And what's interesting in verse 21, And she shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, because he will conquer. He will go forth and set his people free. No, the emphasis is on salvation. Paying the penalty for their sins. Breaking down that barrier between God and man. And it's interesting, right here... To Joseph, the announcement of the Messiah going to the cross is mentioned. It was known. It should have been known. It seems like it was either ignored or misunderstood. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, and we go back to Isaiah seven fourteen: Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name God with us. Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, <clears throat> yeah, that would probably wake you up. You know, he had been thinking about what he was going to do, and maybe he just says, I don't know, I'll think about that in the morning. Goes to sleep, thoughts completely changed in the morning. He wakes up in the morning, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he married his wife. Sounds funny. He took to him his wife and did not know her until Jesus, until she had brought forth her first son and he called his name Jesus. So he was obedient. The remarkable thing about this last passage here is that how does Joseph know Mary, as soon as she's notified, goes to Judea. Up to, to Judea. Judea. She stays there for three months. She comes back. Now, I probably now should have you know, testimonials of all women who have you know, brought forth children and say, "What? do you have a picture of yourself at three months? I don't know. Probably would be different for everybody or for many people. But it's possible that she returned, and one of the first things she did was go to Joseph and tell him that she was pregnant. Now, Joseph, there's no way Joseph Joseph is going to buy this story. But Joseph, you know, I I haven't know, I've been walking up and back on this road out here up to Judea and back, and no, I didn't you know didn't stop off anywhere. I didn't get raped. Nothing happened. Joseph, you're pregnant. Not mine. So, he has to be told divinely what's happening. And I think that Mary probably tells one person, and that's Joseph. I'm pregnant. And now Joseph, her husband, needs to deal with this. How many times has my wife probably said that to a husband? What well, are you going to do with this? you got to fix this. you got to come up with whatever plan or whatever way we're going to go forward well God gives him the plan Joseph you're going to go forward and so the announcement of the conception of Jesus to Joseph and this lays a lot of the groundwork for what we want to do next and our time is up in our first session and I know you're just warmed up it's kind of like dancing after about an hour you're just warm just starting to get warm So, in the next session, we're going to come back and we're going to handle, oh, the next six to seven points. What happens after this? What happens after Joseph gets the word that he's to marry, he's to wed his wife, fulfill that betrothal, not put her away silently, and he is now going to be the legal father of a child, but a child that is now in an abbreviated pregnancy. Six months. Who's going to believe this? Well, maybe premature. Somebody might believe. But not in the first month if she looks like she's in her fourth month. fifth month. So, we'll come back and we'll take a closer look at this. Isn't this exciting? Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we're thankful for your faithfulness. We're thankful that, Father, you provide solutions where there are no human solutions. And we're thankful that at the time of this celebration of our Savior's birth, that we can come and look at these situations and see that there was not just a sin problem, but there were many other difficulties, many other problems that needed to be broached. And you provide the plan. Nothing is impossible with God, and we're thankful for that. We pray for our continued study. We pray, Father, that we'll be able to understand what is said, what it means, and what it means to us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.